Now the next story we're going to go over is Pat from Taken, Dr. Carla Turner's book. Now we all know how I feel about Dr. Carla Turner. I love her work. I think she does some of the best work. And this is a story I've mentioned in at least five of my podcasts out of the six that we've done already. This is number six. And this is the story I keep bringing up. And we may go into some more stories as well. Obviously we will. But this is the story of Pat with the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus and his angels. And what this is going to demonstrate is the altered perception theory. It's an odd one, and we're going to bust into it. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dr. Carla Turner starts by stating that she met Pat through a mutual acquaintance. The acquaintance heard Pat's UFO story and suggested that she get a hold of Dr. Carla Turner. Pat lived in Florida and was 50 years old, divorced mother with a grown child. But the event to be spoken of the very notable one, occurred in 1954 in Floyd Knob, Idaho. Pat's memory of the event, as in the case of so many other people, was totally suppressed after the occurrence. It all came flooding back into her consciousness in 1986. Scenes of brilliant orange ball of light Little gray entities, both inside and outside the farmhouse, and most disturbing of all, military personnel on the property. I thought, I must be crazy when these memories came back. But they were so strong and real. I finally got in touch with my brother and sister, and asked if they recalled anything similar. My sister Rose said she recalled the aliens and the military people too. But although my brother didn't recall the orange ball of light, He clearly remembered the military personnel and some of the interactions with them. Through extensive conversations, letters, and drawings from Pat and her siblings, the following extraordinary scenario emerged, raising serious questions not only about the nature of alien abduction agenda, but also the involvement of the military citizens who have been a target of such interactions as well. We begin this strange tale on a six-acre farm in Floyd's Knob, Indiana. In the summer of 1954, 11-year-old Pat lived there with her mother, stepfather, grandma, brother, who was nine at the time, and sister, who was six. On one particular night, several family members saw a large, strange ball of light appear outside the farmhouse. Pat was already asleep, but was awakened by either her sister or her grandma to look out the window. What they saw was a large orange ball of light motionless in the sky, then rapidly move around the back of the house. I remember vaguely thinking, I will go back to bed and wait. It seems to me that I knew they were coming. I saw my mother running to the kitchen door to make sure it was locked, and see the ball of light came over the yard. I remember thinking, it won't do any good to lock the doors. They can come in anyway. It was if I knew what to expect. Pat became tired and sleepy, but she didn't remember going to bed. The next memory is an odd, enigmatic, multicolored light slowly spinning around the room in silence, spewing blue, purple, and violet hues. She got out of the bed and walked to the window to see a gray floating just outside. Look at those eyes, she thought. They can film us. The gaze of the gray seemed to penetrate her entire being, and she seemed to have sensed a familiarity with him. Don't be afraid, it communicated to Pat. You are the chosen child. We will not harm you. As Pat turned around, she witnessed several white, tall entities coming into the room. They floated her grandmother out the door, 
and Pat could feel the old woman's terror, and she felt fear herself. The room was filled with strange beings, with a huge beam of light sparkling like it came through the ceiling. In that light is what Pat perceived to be a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus in a radiant robe. He took Pat's right hand and stated, Don't be afraid, my child, these are mine, gesturing to the beings that stood amidst the room. The Jesus figure would again address Pat by stating, I am the light of the world. And then again, sparkling shaft of light returned, and he ascended into the ceiling with the beam of light and they disappeared. She and her grandmother were then floated out of the room by the entities, passing her mother's bedroom. Pat saw a brilliant white light emitting from the room. Five taller white entities were around her stepfather examining his legs as a result of polio he had atrophied either one or both of his legs. Examining the man's legs with a green bar of light around five inches long that floated over the man. As they continued on through the house, out into the yard, Pat witnessed a craft, crystalline in appearance and hovering low to the ground. A beam erupted out of the bottom of the craft, engulfing her. I remember my sister's blonde curly head next to mine as we went up the craft. We were looking down at the ground and saw my mom and grandma. They were looking up like zombies. She also saw that the yard was filled with greys, hurrying about the area. Neither Pat or her sister Rose is certain of the exact sequence of events. They both recalled a group of smaller grey beings near a ditch beside the cellar door. Rose remembers the beings in a line walking across the board spanning the ditch. Pat remembers a line or wall of fire in the ditch and a row of small grey skinny aliens wearing Chinese rice paddy hats with big brims. I was on one side of the ditch, and they were on the other. They were telling me, pass through the light, it will not hurt you. Which I was thinking at the time, that I would get burned. The fire was not hot and it was supposed to cleanse me. I did go through it, to the other side. I don't remember doing it, or what happened after. After the light transported her and Rose into the craft, Pat sat on a table with the greys present. A taller white came over with a file-type instrument, and he scraped the skin from her inner forearm and the bottoms of her feet, clipped off some of her hair, and peeled away some samples of her fingernails. What do you need all those pieces of me for? She said. We are making a new you, the abductor replied. Pat asked, Are you an angel? Yes, but not like you have been taught, replied the visitor. Pat was taken into another room with the table, where she is laid down. Above the table is a dark instrument. One of the greys pulled down the tube from the device. At the end of the tube was a thin needle. Pat became frightened and was told, this is the part you don't have to remember, re replied one of the abductors. Pat knew it would be put into her right nostril, but she passed out before it happened. She recalled another part of her physical exam being fused with a silver light. It was done from something over my body. Up high in the room, he, the alien, fused me into my head with a silver light. It will keep me from violent harm. It let me be perfect in human form for a few seconds. It was a protective light. I get the idea that when this silver light goes into my other body, I will be made the new me. In other words, the new me will come to life with my soul in it. Pat came back to awareness again, after the incident with the needle, to find herself back in the first room once more on a table again crying because she couldn't stay with the greys. It isn't time yet, replied one grey. She asked for a souvenir as proof that it really had occurred. The green healer rock above her stepfather. It would not work properly for her, only for them, they said. She was then told, you are going to have to forget this. 
Why, cried Pat. Because there are those who would tamper with your mind, the Grey replied. Pat was then returned to her house, where she saw all her family members sitting in the living room in a daze like zombies. Even her stepfather, he was propped up leaning against the sofa. She was placed back in her bed, saw one of the greys outside her window, once more gesturing farewell to her. She responded with a wave and drifted off to sleep immediately again. Now this is just one story from Taken by Dr. Carla Turner, and honestly I think per week instead of the whole Nick Redfern thing, I think we'll go over part of the story every week for each of these abductees. Pat's got an awful long story, and that blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus comes up again. So, once a week, we're going to do a little bit of part of each story of these abductees. But let's break it down. So, the alien outside the window is commonly reported. Not in every case, but in some. I've heard plenty of them. That's rich within the lore. We have the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. Now, Pat, if you watch some of Dr. Carla Turner's lectures and watch her speak about this, Pat was a very religious woman. And still is, as far as I know. I don't know that anything has come of Pat since then, if she's even still alive. But she's very religious. Now, as I've gone over in all the other podcasts, This altered perception theory is they produced a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus to make it more comfortable for her to go. And if you notice, they stuck with the religious theme. Again, that's because it's easier for her to accept that. It makes it more willing for her to go with them this time and later on. Now the green rod over her stepfather, that could be technology. Now one of the parts I do find odd is her her perception was altered differently than her sister Rose because her Rose her sister witnessed them walking in a line along the ditch now while she witnessed them walking in a line along the ditch as well she also saw light or fire in the middle of the ditch and they were also wearing hats like Raiden from Mortal Kombat so In this case, they altered her perception a little more. For the reason, I don't know. It seems to be the fire part and being cleansed by it was, I I don't want to call it a metaphor, but it's almost sticking with that religious viewpoint. Her sister was six, and she's not really going to understand that. So that could explain part of that. So another odd part is the clone talk, right? I really don't know what to make of that. It could be this hybrid program that people talk about. And they could be playing off of that, saying, here's a new body you're going to have, and it's going to have your soul. If you'll notice when she's talking about that, she refers to the light being fused with her. So, technology could be a needle being inserted or something odd like that. And she feels like the perfect human. Now this is, my interpretation of this, is that again, it makes it easier for the next time go around. Earlier, the Grey told her you're the chosen one, chosen child. Well, that's common with abductions too. People get told that a lot. In fact, Whitley Strieber got told that and he called bullshit on it. Because if he was chosen, why is there so many other people around? It's almost like a dog being given a treat with this perfect human thing, right? So it's, if you act good, we're going to make you feel better. You'll feel like the perfect human. Now again, that's just my interpretation of it, but that's what I walk away from this with. Now the part where it talks about her being kept from violent harm with said light. I don't know what to make of that. Again, that could be an instrument that almost nullifies any anger or 
anything like that. I'm not 100% sure. But that's what I make of this whole situation. Where some others would jump off the bat, you know, and just go crazy with it. Like, all of this literally happened. There was a, literally a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. They literally somehow appeared to Pat and Rose in two separate ways at the same time. And it was all a religious experience. Well, again, you have to look at things differently. You can't just jump the gun and say everything's paranormal, right? As you can see, there's a couple things I didn't know about, but I still tried to break it down in a rational way. And that's kind of what I mean with this whole thing. So if there's anything you take from my podcast, this UFOs and the paranormal ones, take that from it. Now that being said, I want to take a bit of a jumping off point with the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus aspect. Now nowadays, a lot of religious people And I have nothing against religious people, right? I was raised Christian. But a lot of religious people nowadays have this big conspiracy, that's what we're going to call it, that these extraterrestrials are demons. So they're going to take your soul and they're going to rape and beat you. And if you cry out the name of Jesus, the abduction stops. In more of Dr. Carla Turner's work, as well as many others, this is proven wrong. You can take a look back at the Betty and Barney Hill case. Okay, Barney Hill was looking up at that craft. He saw the entities and it freaked him out. And he cried out for God to stop it. And it did not stop. When people were abducted, The same situation happens. People will cry out the name of Jesus. Some have reported that it does stop. Others have not. And I'm sorry, I don't just buy into the fact that if you're a believer, it stops. And if you're not, it doesn't. I don't buy that. The fact of the matter is, it acts two separate ways. I remember I was doing some research, and I looked into this perspective, right? And I'm listening to a podcast from a guy, and the podcast was titled, Why UFOs Are Most Certainly Demons, or something to that effect. And then as I'm listening, because he sounded very, you know, stern on the fact, like he knows what he's talking about. As I start to listen, within the very first few minutes, and I can respect this man for this, He comes out and he says, I'm sorry that the title was a little misleading. What I meant was, some abduction cases seem to be demonic rather than aliens. Not in all cases. And then he pointed out the Betty and Barney Hill example. Another man I heard quote this same story from Pat and then say that aliens were mutilating and murdering children and babies so they could occupy the soul and steal the body. In one case from this man, he talked about aliens carving not only a cross into a person's body, but a pentagram and the Star of David And he said it was like a ritual, and they were marking him. Now that's a little out there, and this is kind of what I'm talking about. You see, I'm going to tell you right now, aliens are not demons. We pointed out in the last episode just an example of how succubus and incubus are completely different than the extraterrestrials and this phenomenon. Now, that very well could be the case. There very well could be demons. And they could be attacking people. But it is not this phenomenon. 
So I want you to keep that in mind anytime you hear somebody say that calling out the name of Jesus stops an alien abduction. There are many religious people who cannot stop an abduction by calling out the name of Jesus. Even if you're faithful, it's like me being ready to get stabbed. And I say, oh Jesus help me, and he stabs me anyway. This universe, physical harm can still come to you. And it will in most cases. I just wanted to make a little point to that, because this does go on with UFOs and the paranormal. They're not demons. They may even play on your emotions to make it easier for you to go with them. But they have a specific plan. I don't know what it is, but it's something specific. Now more on that. So let's say UFOs landed on the White House lawn today. Occupants got out. Wave said, how you doing? People are going to be fucking picketing them and calling them demons, trying to throw rocks and shit at them. That's unfortunately the world we live in, and people will look at this in different ways. Again, UFOs plus Ghost plus Sasquatch plus Loch Ness Monster equals UFOs. We shouldn't be so quick to buy into all of these things. You have to look at, it, look at it objectively, as I've been saying and probably repeated at least 15 times between the two goddamn podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Pet, part two. The next day preceding the odd abduction. Oddly, there was no conversation of the night prior. But Pat's brother notes that on that day, a white staff car, a green car, a jeep, as well as several white vans arrived. It was the military arriving on the farm with instruments and equipment. There was a troop carrier that carried many soldiers who combed the entire 16 acres of land. Pat's brother stated that he had to move animal feed to the smokehouse, usually kept in the barn, but the barn held a hidden and large truck, military equipment, so he was not permitted to enter. They came in our house and set up equipment in the living room. The army men wanted to talk to me most. Me, an 11-year-old girl with secrets in my head, exclaimed Pat. But the beings told her not to say anything. There are those who would tamper with your mind. And here they were, the tamperers, the army men. The military would stay an astonishing four days. And the only person allowed to go out was Pat's brother, in order to take care of the farm animals. Her brother remembers what was going on outside. Due to this, he says, there were more than 20 soldiers outside and told to man their stations on the farm. He was then questioned by a man dressed in a white lab coat, who asked about the chickens and the pigs. Are your pigs out there? The man asked, gesturing to the boy, and he nodded yes. Have the pigs been acting funny? No, the child said. Why? The odd man then said something about minerals in the soil, making animals act strangely. The boy stated he felt comfortable with the man, and wasn't afraid to answer questions or ask some of his own. 
He even offered the man some fresh mint, a favorite treat, from a patch near the cellar. But the man refused. They're taking samples there. And we'll be in the way. When they're done, we'll go get some. Pat was mad about being restricted. She felt as if they would take her family and put her in jail or something. But she felt as if the being was protecting her. She called him the little boy at the time. But she also knew he was not a little boy. Two female doctors set up equipment in her parents' room where Pat received an injection. It made me sleepy, said Pat. She laid there upon her parents' bed, on a towel, and the child told her story. I even told them, you're in my mom's room, where the white ones were. You don't belong here, but they do. Dr. Carla Turner then asked Pat to put herself back in the situation and recount everything she could recall. She went back into her 11-year-old form of mind and began to relive the situation. Pat recounts seeing a man dressed in all-brown uniform and wearing a captain's hat. The man had thick silver-gray hair and speaking to Pat's mother and grandmother holding a file envelope. Then another man appeared and removed his coat and rolled up his sleeves. His name was Mr. Donaldson. He's also an army man, Pat exclaimed. Then the other people began to set up three TV screen things in our living room, a little taller than I was. Mr. Donaldson opened up arms on the machine and told Pat it looked like a robot. See, Pat, he said, if we open it out, the panels, they look like arms, so maybe you saw a robot like this. No, Pat stated, I didn't see a robot, I saw a little boy. She remembered the lady doctors clearly. One had a white coat, and the other lady was Dr. Susan. She wore a bright orange coat. She had brown blonde hair with bangs over her, over her forehead, and the rest was pulled back from her face. Dr. Susan had things like dental equipment in her mother's room. Instruments were there, but Pat couldn't recall what. The really clear picture is of a shot wrapped in a cellophane or plastic. It had a hose attached to it, which was also wrapped in cellophane or plastic as well. Dr. Susan began to open the shot. Frightened, Pat asked if she had to get a shot with that thing. Dr. Susan then directed Pat to Mr. Donaldson who was in the living room speaking angrily to men in the living room dressed in white moon suits as she describes and they were holding white boxes without handles he was saying I told you to use the ones with the handles after Pat received a shot it made her feel dreamy and willing to talk about her secret memories she was upset with Mr. Donaldson didn't believe her I always told the truth because my mom hated a liar so I told the army men about my visit with the beings. I cried when they told me I didn't see what I thought I saw. She figured Mr. Donaldson felt bad because after she cried everyone was being nice. Pat then questions, why did they say I didn't see the little boy? Why did such a wonderful thing as a visit get everyone so upset and mad? And why did I have to get another shot? Someone asked about the glowing white beings, and Pat said, They are angels. How do you know they are angels? Her interrogator asked. Because they told me so, Pat said. And what else did they tell you, Pat? One person asked. Did they tell you anything else? Yes, she replied. They told me a lot of things, but I can't remember them now. Someday I will remember, but not now. Why can't you remember now? she asked. Because, Pat said, they said it's not time to remember, and besides, you were coming here. 
and I can't tell you because it's a special thing. When I'm a lot older, I'll remember what they said and going to happen. Did they tell you what's going to happen? Yes, they did, Pat replied. They told me about the bad time on Earth. I'm not supposed to tell about that. I can't remember now. Well, some of it I remember. Like the crystalline ship. They were in it. It was full of light. And I called it crystalline ship because it wasn't metal, like a plane. The lights made everything work by itself. And they moved things without touching them. And even me. They moved me without touching me. They moved me up and down. They are full of love, and they protected me with a silver light in me. And I love them. They then asked about the little boy's clothes and hair. Pat felt like the man was dumb for asking such a question. Don't you know, she said, that the beings don't have hair and don't have clothes. The little boy has real big slanty eyes that can film everything inside me, in my head, in my soul. He talks to me in my head and doesn't use his mouth because he only has a line there. He's really skinny, but he doesn't have to eat because he's an angel. Pat states, I thought angels had wings, and I laughed because he laughed with his eyes, because he knew I was thinking about wings. I got kind of scared because I knew he was really an angel then. He knew what I thought. And only angels can tell what you think all the time, except so can Jesus. So I thought in my head, do you know Jesus and the beings? And I filled up with a love feeling that kind of made me cry and know something special. And the being said yes in my head. I said, are you like the angels? And the being said yes, but not as you have been taught. I wanted to stay with them and go back with them. Pat, stop here, said the interrogator. In 1986, all the memories of aliens in the military came flooding back into Pat's life. Now, Pat didn't want publicity, but asked Dr. Carla Turner to put her location of Floyd Knob, Indiana, as well as the year of 1954, in the book in hopes that somebody would come along and, you know, remember seeing the military vehicles you know, coming through the town and provide a little outside verification other than her brother and her sister. When Dr. Carla Turner asked Pat if she had any more odd events happen in her life, the answer was not surprisingly yes. You see, Dr. Carla Turner knew from her research as well as the research of others that abductions don't just occur once in your life. Rather, they start from childhood on multiple abductions and multiple encounters. It was the fall of 1962. At this point, Pat's a teenager. Pat and her friend were making a trip to Kentucky, but they got lost. Now, while being lost, they run into a sign that says Fort Knox on it. They left laughing about their confusion and ret retraced their steps in search of their destination. But the girls ended up in a deserted train yard in their car with the engine off. Pat said they felt as if they'd just come out of some unremembered experience with no idea of why they why the car was stopped. Frustrated, the two girls gave up and headed home at dark. But Pat had a dream. Pat recalled being out of the car with her friend beside her. She saw a ripple of golden light like an elevator moving up at an angle, with angels on both sides. She said they were respectful of the blonde man, who seemed to her like Jesus. Her friend was screaming hysterically, They want you! 
Pat told her friend, Don't be afraid, it's okay. She approached the blonde man, who was engulfed in the beautiful light. He spoke to her about being a mother, and about a seed of life. He stated he had the power of all seed in his hand. At the end of this experience, he held out his hand to her and showed her a seed, telling her it was for her benefit and to have no fear. A few months later, Pat, now pregnant, moved to Florida. She remembers telling her husband that the baby would be a boy, but that it wouldn't be a viable. I'm going to have it, but not keep it, she said, unable to explain how she knew this would occur. For the next few months, she and her two children lived in a garage apartment. One night, Pat came to consciousness just as she was walking into the apartment, as if she had been outside. Although Pat didn't recall being there, she felt awed and a pleasant vibratory sensation. She then thought, they came and got me. Pat says nothing more seems to have taken place in this time frame. She continued to have prenatal checks and everything seemed okay but then the eighth month came the doctor could not find a fetal heartbeat she delivered her baby in may full term the baby sadly passed away due to being stillborn what she said was true and came to pass later that year pat remembers finding herself in a quiet room surrounded by grays and waiting for something the gray she thought of as her friend appeared in the doorway showing her a baby he told her that she had the choice to see the baby no pat replied it's okay it's fine you'll take better care of it than i could but in that brief glimpse she saw a tiny skinny baby with blue slanted eyes she felt that somehow this baby was a repository for the soul of the child who died at birth and she says she felt trusting and thankful toward her friend for showing her this little boy, and that it had, in a sense, survived. Of the memories that resurfaced over the years, one raises the most questions. The Cocoon People. I can't remember when the actual event might have occurred, said Pat. All I recall is being in a large room with a soft white lighting, and one of the greys was there. I vaguely recall seeing a human male there, but not what he was doing. Part of this large room was filled with what looked to be sarcophagus-like boxes. And in this box was something that appeared to be human forms. They were alive, Pat recalled, but not animated. There was a white misty stuff all over them, and I knew the misty stuff kept them alive. I knew they were waiting to come to life in the future. The being then asked Pat, Do you want to see yours? As Pat told the being yes, she was shown a female body. It was in one of the containers. Don't ask how I know it was a female. I just felt it, she said. I saw a little bit of a human face through the mist. Like a nose, mouth, eyes, definitely human. I knew this was connected with the 1954 visit. Because I remembered they told me that they were making a new me. I felt this cocoon was the new me. I felt that they are waiting for the resurrection or reanimation and we will all be able to see and talk with them here on earth, she said. If I were to die now, I believe my other body will house my soul when Jesus says it's time and I too will come back. If I live through the destruction to come into the new world I will still need my other body as this one I have will die anyway in her mid 40s Pat had 
experience occur with beings again. And at this time she recalled being in a room lit with a golden glow. She was taken to a desk-sized device in the top of which were circular openings. In each opening was a different colored vibrating light and she was told to put her hands in the lights. As she did, she heard the most beautiful sound she had ever heard. Each light made a different sound. The sound of your soul, the gray told Pat. Pat understood that this had something to do with the cocoon bodies shown to her before. Bodies that didn't have soul power activating them. In 1987, Pat had another possible experience, far more typical of the usual abduction experience. This also included her grandson. Was this a dream? Pat pondered while relating the story to Dr. Carla Turner. I have no proof. I was in my daughter's house, and it was nighttime, said Pat. I seemed to be floating to my grandson's room. I took his hand, and we floated together, upright about six inches off the floor. We, f we floated out the front door, out to the driveway, and stopped while the gate swung open on the side of the road. There were about 10 to 15 beings across the road in the woods. They all rose up out of the woods at the same time. I could hear my grandson think, Mima, can we play with those kids? No, honey. These are special kids. They don't play like regular kids. We floated down the road to the end of the cul-de-sac. There in the dead end circle was a ship with red blips that went around it, a saucer. There was a door with a light. We floated up the ramp and I saw my being friend. And then I don't remember anymore. Anyway, said Pat, my grandson and I went together on this trip, or I'd rather call it a dream, I'm not sure. Pat had a number of intensely affecting experiences that occurred while she was in a meditative or dream state, and so she was unable to feel confident that they were real. In some of these dream events, she has seen a variety of flying craft. She has had apparent out-of-body experiences, and she received telepathic communication. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In 1992, it was October, and Pat had an event that seemed related to the previous experiences. I dreamed that someone was talking to me mentally, telling me things that I couldn't grasp the exact words, but I heard the sentence like this. This destruction comes in four quarians. Quarian is not a word we know, but I took it to mean four parts of some kind. Then I saw what I call a graph. I felt as though I was getting a gentle warning of the bad time on Earth, like it was very near to happening now, said Pat. Such warnings have been given to Pat various times throughout her life. But not only Pat, many abductees report this through their experience. To quote Dr. Carla Turner, is one of the most commonly reported events in this phenomenon. As are the reports of marks on the bodies of abductees. And here again, Pat fits the pattern, states Dr. Carla Turner. In the summer of 1993, Pat discovered an odd design on her inner wrist. A circle of six dots with the seventh dot in the center. 
This design, incidentally, was reported in a handful of cases in 1991 and 1992, as it was not to be a coincidence that all these cases have mostly come into Florida, where Pat lives, said Dr. Carla Turner. A few months later, Pat later had an experience relating to an odd circle pattern. I had a dream in August 7th. In the middle of the afternoon, she explained, it was one of those naps that makes you hit the bed and you're out like a light. There were voices in my dream that sounded like soft whispers and I began to listen more closely. There was something said about being innocent like a child and this feeling flooded my whole body and soul. I felt like being in the state of pure innocence without knowing anything about fear, hate, or prejudice, a pure wonderful state of being in love, secure, protected, and without sin, as we call it. I saw a scene from my childhood of a town we lived in. It looked like it did way back then. I saw myself about 11 years old. My feeling in this dream was great. Then a voice said to me, get up child and look to the nebulous. It can take you there. And in my dream, Pat said, I got up and I unlocked my back door and looked up into the daytime sky and saw a most beautiful circle of lights with one light in the middle spinning around like marquee lights on a movie house all spinning in a golden color. And the voice said, I cannot go now because I was pleading to go to the nebulous now. When he said I could not go now, I begged him to let me see it when I was in my conscious mind. He said he would, but I haven't seen it yet, said Pat. It was like a wondrous thing from another time in my life, but my overall feeling was that I would have died to go to the nebulous. I woke up very groggy, like I was on drugs, and then I hurried to write it down before I could forget. The nebulous design was the same as the design on my wrist. Pat felt she knew and understood what nebulous meant. She associated it with the lighted circle object she first saw. But nebulous is an adjective rather than a noun nebula, is the proper form and thus there is no specific definition for reference other than cloudy, lacking form and unidentified. According to the dictionary, said Dr. Carla Turner. Two months later, exactly, on October 7th, while conscious, she recalled another communication. A voice said to Pat, The nebulous is a code. The code has been broken. Pat saw a whole nebulous followed by a broken one. I could see a jelly-like stuff that connected the dots. I knew the nebulous was then something that was in our bodies when we were created. Pat goes on. We were supposed to have a perfect nebulous. This gave us personal contact with the creator. When the nebulous was broken by disobedience, we no longer had personal contact with our creator. We had to adapt to living on our own, thus losing our innocence and pure state of being in human form. Dr. Carla Turner goes on to explain, This image reinforces Pat's altered understanding of God and a spiritual plan. Overall, her experiences with alien entities have been, to the best of her conscious recollection, felt very positive. With a strong religious faith, she has accepted them as angels. In my abductions, says Pat, I have never gotten a feeling of evil. In fact, I felt most protected while in the presence of these beings. Some people may say that these beings have the power to control what you feel and think at the time of the abduction, which they most certainly do. I'm hanging on to childlike faith that Jesus tried to teach us, and I believe that what I felt was true and good. Why would an all-loving God allow little children to be abducted if the beings were evil and meant to do us harm? I don't believe God would allow it. Even so, 
There are things which these beings do that seem to be wrong to us and seem violent. There was one disturbing experience which occurred on July 24th of 1993. It not only involved an alien entity, but also what appeared to be two human men and a human environment. Pat awoke early in the morning hours groggy and feeling as if she'd been drugged, as she had so many times before. She heard a very odd pss, 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 noise very near her. Pat then recalled two men come into her bedroom and carried her outside into a waiting military truck. Pat was in a drugged state of consciousness, going in and out of consciousness, as the truck slowly moved and drove for 45 minutes to an hour. In a state of lucid consciousness, she heard the two men having a low conversation that she couldn't understand. She attempted to speak, but her tongue was too thick and unwieldy. The truck turned left into a rough surface, and Pat came to consciousness once more. And in the dark night, caught only a glimpse of the countryside out of the large square front windshield of the truck. Finally stopped, but the engine was still idling. Peering through the window, Pat saw that they were parked next to a large mound or hillside. Incredibly, she saw a large doorway open outward. The truck pulled inside of the hill in a very dimly lit area inside. As the vehicle stopped, she saw a strange being, as if waiting for her, was standing inside this dimly lit place. No more than three foot tall and dressed in a black hooded cape. Pat still groggy thought, what is an oriental girl doing here? An immediate response telepathically came back to Pat. I know you don't like me, said the being. No, Pat thought. No, I don't. I don't want to do this again. But they can't break me, because they couldn't do it before. When the truck finally stopped, she was assisted out. Stepping a far way down from a passenger compartment, Pat saw the area was crowded and dirty feeling with boxes and junk stacked along the wall. She then noticed a stainless steel table in the middle of a large room. These tables were more human looking than the other ones from her alien encounters that Pat had uneasily seen before. As a result, Pat felt uneasy about this experience. They wanted me to get onto the table, she said, but I don't want to. Not that table, but Pat did get on the table. But Pat also does not recall what happened. The oriental girl hovered around her, moving close and poking Pat with an unseen object. Pat could not see it, but she did see the entity's face close to hers. Its skin was grayish-green in color. When it blinked, its eyelids met in the middle, Pat said. The effect was repugnant, reminding her of a lizard. Pat's next memory was getting off of the table and attempting to see what the oriental girl was doing to her. The entity kept moving around Pat and making erratic pss, 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 pss noises trying to support herself by holding on to the table. She moved away from the entity. But the entity continued to poke at Pat. Even though Pat was more alert, she still felt unsteady. And as she circled the table, she stubbed her toe painfully against it. When she looked down, she saw the floor was covered in sawdust. God, she thought, this isn't even a real floor. Pat, even more aware now, avoided the being as much as she could, feeling that whatever it was doing was some sort of torment to her. She blacked out and awoke in her bed, pss, 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 
noises were still audible there beside her, just briefly. Two days later, Pat saw a bruise on her wrist with a red dot or a puncture inside of it. Also noting, her toenail was chipped badly, almost into the quake, almost as if it had forcefully struck something hard. I didn't like the situation at all, Pat said. I knew it wasn't the first time I had seen the Oriental girl. I've been on that table before. She also remembered the uneasy feeling it made her feel. She knew this greenish-skinned, lizard-eyed being was not human. Even though the two men, the facility, the truck, and the trip certainly seemed to be. What kind of aliens are involved with the government and the military, she pondered. And that's the end of Pat's story. I'm probably going to do a compilation where we put all of her story in one so you get the full story instead of happening to listen to it on three separate podcasts. Quite interesting. Now, what are some of my thoughts on Pat's tale? Now, Pat believed that all this took place. Dr. Carla Turner also believes this. And I do too, actually. Now, they continue to play on religious themes for Pat, even though it feels like a masked version of your typical abduction, only dramatized to make it easier on Pat as well as themselves, but when stripped back, it is your typical abduction narrative. That's actually one of the notes that I took. So when I wrote down most of her odd cases, you do find that. So I'm going to list a couple off for you here. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. Religious. Walk through fire, as in a metaphor of Let's see how much you believe that we're angels kind of thing. That's what I made of the fire in the ditch incident. The soul machine. Religious. The perfect human. I considered that religious. The resurrected body. So like the clone or the cocoon people as she put it. Now I don't actually believe they were clones or cocoon people but... Let's say that's religious. The nebulous that she talks about. The communication with the Creator through said nebulous, religious, angels, religious. Jesus Part 2, as I put down, of her and her friend who saw the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus again. Religious. Love and light feeling. So, feeling perfect, loved, without sin. Religious. Torment by the one entity at the end, poking at her, or as she perceived it to be torment. I put down religious, the chosen child. I put down religious. Destruction. I put down religious. So all of those things are some of the dramatizations or altered perceptions of her having a religious experience. When really, let's let's take a couple here. Your blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, the second encounter, right? So the first one, they were trying to convince her that everything's okay, make it easier to come with you. This is a holy experience, you know, these are my angels. In other words, let's make this easy on you and us. And for future times to come. You got the second incident. Where he's got the seed in his hand and he's talking about holding the seed of all life and things of that nature and then she becomes pregnant so in other words what we see here is your typical abduction scenario that is reproductive oriented her seeing the old friend gray right so with most alien abductions there's a typical alien gray that usually accompanies you from childhood on so you'll generally meet them when you're a child. You you can tell if it's a female or a male just by the voice and the feeling you get. 
they look like all the rest of them. And then 40 years down the road, you run into the same one. Doesn't look like they've aged a day for the most part. But it's the same entity, and you can tell from the same feeling and the voice and everything. Even though most of the time these entities have a very monotone voice without accent or even robotic sounding at times. So let's go into the typical abduction scenario that is very apparent in this, okay? So you've got the destruction talk. Well, we've talked about that on the prior ones. That's where you're shown a screen or a vision or even in this case, like a dream of destruction coming. It's a warning. And she talked about that as well. Physical exam. That happened. An old friend. You know, that same little gray that we just went over. That happened. Different entities. That happened. Hybrid baby. That happened. Needle. Instruments. Clothing. Like, you know, the cloaks. That all happened, and that's your typical alien abduction scenario. And when you peel this back, you start to actually see those little bits in there. Kind of like the second interaction with the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus again. Right? Where it's reproductive-oriented, and you can tell that. So my takeaway from this is, it's a very odd case. But it follows the typical alien abduction scenario. Only masks in a religious perspective. Now at the end, if you recall, she didn't feel like any of them were evil. She felt safe with them, even though they do things that seem wrong to us or violent. She still didn't think they were evil demons. And in fact, some of the quotes that I gave there, she accepts that they're aliens now rather than angels. Presumably from talking to Dr. Carla Turner and some of the similarities with other abductions. So what I take away from this is, I can buy it. She's had a lot of dreams. But I can buy it. Just, it's altered to a certain degree. Now I want you to keep in mind that again, some people would take this to a paranormal level 100%. Well, we aren't going to do that here. We're going to break it down and peel back the layers as we just did. So the next time somebody tells you that calling out the name of Jesus will stop an abduction, I want you to remember this story. Because this story actually appeared to her as Jesus. In other words, you think it's going to stop us? Well, here's Jesus. It doesn't happen. It may happen in some cases, but I believe that could be a separate phenomenon. It does not have to be aliens. Hey guys, this is T. I just wanted to break in here and say I couldn't find Pat's story on Voices of the Taken, so I must have been mistaken on that. But I did include the audio from one of Dr. Carla Turner's last talks. I think it is her last one, actually, so I'm going to put that in there. In my personal investigations, especially in the cases of the women that I report about in Taken, I've dealt with several abductees, as I said, who've had military involvement in their experiences. And I think one of the most intriguing is that of Pat, who's the first woman whose case is discussed in Taken. Pat lived with her younger brother and sister, her mother, a paralyzed stepfather, and her grandmother in a farm on 16 acres outside of Floyd's Knob, Indiana, in 1954. Pat was 12 years old. In the summer of 1954, before school started, so it was before Labor Day, a UFO, a craft, landed in the back of the property where the farmhouse was, and the house uh, was entered by a number of little gray aliens. This night, Pat was in the bedroom with her grandmother. They shared the bedroom. And the grandmother became very, very frightened, and that's when they deemed Jesus here. He said, it's okay, there wasn't any go ahead. 
the entire family was abducted, including the parents and the grandmother, and they went through a series of physical examinations, etc., etc., and were returned to the home. The next day, and this is 1954, the next day, two trucks carrying uniformed soldiers with arms arrived at the farm. Uh, three smaller vehicles with the lead personnel, including doctors, came to the farm. They stationed the soldiers around the perimeter of the farm. They sequestered the family for five days. They only allowed the boy outside under escort in order to feed the farm animals once a day. For five days, each member of the family was drugged and interrogated. And Pat remembers them telling her repeatedly that the event she was describing did not happen. Now, the night before when the aliens had had Pat, she had asked in her innocence, are you angels? And they said, yes, but not as you've been taught. And she kept insisting to the military and to the doctors who were examining her that the angels had come, and they kept saying, there was no one there, this did not happen, you did not see this. All of the surviving members of Pat's family recalled this completely consciously Pat had never had any regression more. And she asked me when I did this book to put the date and the place because she's hoping that there might still be someone from that area who saw the military arriving and who could verify the story that she and her family have been telling us that they have remembered all these years. 1954, one day after the abduction, apparently our military was able to monitor events well enough in 1954 to know that this craft had been in that area. This is 1995. Certainly, whatever monitoring and surveillance techniques they had in 54 have been well improved since then. 